Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 13 if you have them. Um, For those of you who are visiting, as Eric said, I am not Pastor Mac McCurry. Uh, My name is Ryan. I am the youth and college guy here. And as Eric also told you, our, our senior pastor and his wife are celebrating their 25th anniversary. So please be praying for them that they get plenty of rest and just have a great time together. But in the meantime, I, I always feel, I feel kind of guilty because maybe some of you, you've been, you know, you've been begging that one friend, right? Just come to church one time. Just try it out one time. And today is the day that your friend decided and you're stuck with the youth guy. So uh, please forgive me, but, but I hope, you know, I, I hope uh, my prayer is this morning that we can look through God's word together uh, and learn and grow as a family and as a community, we're in Luke chapter 13. Our text is, is 10 through 17, but to kind of set the scene and, and understand what Jesus is talking about, let's look at verses 6 through 9 first. So Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And he, that is Jesus, he began teaching this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, For three years I came looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year also, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. But if not, cut it down. So Jesus is describing a tree planted in a vineyard, verse 6. Some of your versions may say garden, but the idea is the same, right? It's not planted in a desert. It's not planted on dry ground, but in a vineyard, a fertile place where fruit is expected to grow. This fig tree has not produced any fruit for three seasons. The, The number is not really the point, right? The specific number is not really the point. The main point is that more than enough time has passed for the tree to bear fruit, and it hasn't. And it's not just any tree. This is a fig tree. If you're taking notes or for my type A's out there, you may want to circle the term fig tree, and maybe in your bulletin or in your Bible in the margin write Joel chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2. Because in Joel 1 and 2, in those chapters, a fig tree is used to symbolize the entire nation of Israel. And now Jesus is citing a fig tree that's not producing. This is not a story or a lesson about agriculture. This is a story of a nation in crisis. That's what Jesus is bringing to the front. So Jesus is telling the story not just of a fruitless tree, but of a fruitless nation. Planted in a vineyard, planted on fertile ground, is his way of saying, you have been given all the resources you need to bear fruit. And think back, think, think back to the Old Testament. I've protected you in ways that I never gave to other nations. I've given you my explicit word and law in a way that no other nation has received up to this point. And you still don't bear fruit. Your hearts are still hard. But hope is not lost in this parable because in the story, Jesus tells of a man who comes and intercedes on behalf of the tree. The vineyard keeper who comes and says, let me work on this tree personally to help it grow and bear fruit. Jesus is telling the Israelites listening, this is what I'm doing for you. I'm here to help you bear fruit if you would only listen to me. 
before we jump into the text, it would be irresponsible of me to leave out the fact that I can't help but think of another nation today exactly like this story. And I think you and I are probably thinking of the same one. Another nation that has been given incredible financial and resource blessing by God. Another nation that has been given a level of protection and strength unlike anything the world has ever seen. And this nation has unrestricted access to the word of God anytime we want. I can't help but think that Jesus is speaking of a lot of nations here, but particularly to America. Planted in a vineyard, I've given you every resource you need to bear fruit, especially in the South, right? We still live in a place in time, I don't know how much longer, but a place in time where going to church and owning a Bible is still expected in a lot of ways. It's basically part of the furniture in our house, right? And of course, that can turn into legalism and be taken advantage of, as we're about to see. But in large part, guys, this is a massive blessing. The living and active word of God, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating and dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. For most of us in here, that's on your phone. Always with us, all day long. This parable is intense, and it's supposed to be because Christ has an intense love for us. And he is lovingly saying to Israel and to us, I have given you everything you need. I promise I'm taking care of you if you will just listen to me. But Israel's heart, as we're about to see, remained hard. How are we to respond in a nation full of people with hard hearts? on college campuses with students full of hard hearts and in schools and at jobs. How are we, not just the nation, but how are we to check our own hearts? Look at the next story. Now before we jump in, it's important to remember, especially in the Gospels, that the stories are almost always connected. The authors in the Gospels play the long game, right? Oftentimes they try to draw out a big point through multiple stories. The big point being drawn out here is that Israel's heart is hard. This upcoming story is an example of their hard-heartedness. But look at what Jesus does immediately to try to fix it. Just in the first verse, verse 10 of Luke 13. And he, that is Jesus, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Stop right there. Teaching in the synagogue. This is Jesus we're talking about. In Matthew chapter 14, the guy walks on water. In John 11, he brings a man back from the dead. Again in Matthew 14, he feeds between 15 and 20,000 people using little more than a happy meal, right? If Jesus wanted to, now listen, if Jesus wanted to, he could have flown in the air and projected his voice so that the entire world could hear him. If Jesus wanted to, he could have snapped his fingers and had thousands of angels come and personally talk to each individual in the city. But Jesus, who has infinite power and limited time on earth before the cross, Jesus, who is surrounded by a nation of hard hearts and has the ability to perform miracles in front of them, chooses to take a day and teach the Bible. And not just one day. Turn in your Bible, keep a finger in Luke 13, but turn over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, 
verse 16. And remember, this is this idea of Christ being present in these ordinary means. But look at what comes of them. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, he came to Nazareth. So again, the heart of the homeland, right in Israel. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And, here we go, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. As was his custom. And some versions say, as usual. The word for custom in Greek means habit or tradition. Jesus, who had limited time on earth, went to church regularly. And I say this to my college kids all the time, but using this text, but it's a good reminder for us all. Listen, and listen to those of you who have family and friends who think this. Maybe you think this, and I want to I lovingly come alongside you, right, and show you this. If anyone in the history of the planet could have said, I don't need church to connect with God, it's Jesus, right? If anyone in the history of the planet could have said, I just connect better with God on my own, it's Jesus. But it was his habit to go to church. One pastor says it like this. Now, if Jesus was in the synagogue every Sabbath, shouldn't the Christian be in church every Sunday that he can? How are we going to be more like Jesus if we keep avoiding the very thing he kept attending? How are we going to be more like him if we keep avoiding the very thing he kept attending? The synagogues of Jesus' day were in way worse shape than the churches of our day, and our Lord still went. In a day and age where churches are continuing to look less and less like churches, and more and more like the world around them, let PVN be a place that clings to this verse instead. Jesus sees a value, an importance, a beauty ordained by God in his people meeting together on the day that they are supposed to meet. For us, it's Sunday, it's Resurrection Day, it's Lord's Day. Notice now, it doesn't say he attended a church with dynamic preaching, though that's fine and good. It doesn't say he attended a church where the food was good, though I'm sure he would have no problems with it. His habit, his habit was in going, just going, being there. There is good, there is a benefit in meeting together on the Lord's day with the Lord people that our Lord himself saw enough to do it himself. Jesus did this in the midst of a nation with hardened hearts. How do we keep our hearts soft? How do we help soften the hearts of our own nation? You've got to see this. Jesus took the time as part of his personal ministry to the world to go to church. Part of his emergency spiritual medicine for his own nation involved his attendance in church. One pastor says, as the church goes, so goes the nation. And not just empty-hearted, robotic attendance, but an attention to the word while he was there. Flip back over to Luke 13. Luke 13, again verse 10, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. 
What was he doing at church? He was teaching the Bible. For them, it would have been the Old Testament up to that point. It's interesting. Uh, In 2 Timothy, Paul is showing Timothy that in the last days and in our own day, there will be so many false teachers So many evil men and women who want nothing to do with the Bible, who don't believe the Bible, who think the Bible is boring, who think the Bible is oppressive, who think the Bible is out of date. And do you know what Paul's advice to Timothy is in that book? Preach the Bible. 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in his word and his kingdom, preach the word. Surrounded by a nation of people who wanted nothing to do with the Bible, Paul recommends that Timothy preach the Bible. Jeremiah, you may want to write this down. Jeremiah 23, 29. Listen to this verse. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters the rock? Jesus is in the midst of a broken nation with hearts as hard as stone, And he preaches the word which shatters the rock. Remember in Mark where the disciples, it's early in Mark chapter 1 where the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're saying, do more miracles, perform more healings, you're a rock star. And in Mark 1.38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages. You know this verse. So I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. Parents, Small group leaders, Sunday school teachers, pastors, older siblings. Learn this book. Put yourself, put, don't just learn it, put yourself under this book. Submit yourself to the teaching of this book. Live out the teaching of this book. Not just so that the nation will grow. Remember, as the church goes, so goes the nation. As the family goes, so goes the church. Luke chapter 13, let's go through the rest of our text and we'll talk a little bit. Luke 13, and then we're just going to read 11 through 17 and then we'll talk. And there was a woman, this is verse 11 of Luke 13, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hand on her And immediately she was made erect again, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And and as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by Jesus. So Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath, and you see in verse 12, she does not call out to him. He calls out to her. He starts this rolling purposefully to show them something about the Sabbath. So even in his miracles, he's teaching. Because this is why he came. Not to do magic, not to go on a grand tour, to teach. So even in the miracle, he's teaching us something. 
And this woman is healed after 18 years of being bent over double. Now, let me stop for a second and say this. 18 years of suffering. Eight, now, who knows what her quiet time was like, but, but from our sight, 18 years of silence from God. And where do we find her in the midst of this suffering? In the church. Her being in church during that kind of suffering does not happen if church is just something you do. She gets it. And what is the Pharisees' response to this faith and this miracle? Verse 14. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd, there are six days in which work should be, should be done. So come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath. You came on the wrong day. This is the Sabbath. How dare you heal? There are no rules against healing on the Sabbath, by the way. He's adding to God's commands. And Jesus says, you feed your animals on the Sabbath. You give them rest from their burdens on the Sabbath. Should she not be released, verse 16, on the Sabbath day? Jesus is saying, and this is so important for us to understand. Jesus is saying, the Sabbath should be the day of all days this woman finds rest. This is why I gave the law of the Sabbath to heal, not to hurt. Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man. And here's the deeper point that we need to get. Jesus' point with this is, my law, my word, that you find so boring, that you find so oppressive, that you find so outdated, is meant to help to give you rest and glorify me. Jesus is saying, the Sabbath is awesome. My law is awesome, and you've missed it. Jesus is trying to teach them there and us here not just to observe the Sabbath, not just to observe God's law, but to love it. Jesus did not just come to tell you to read your Bible. Jesus did not just come to tell you to go to church. And if that's how you view worship, at the bottom of your well, if that's why you're here, if that's why you read, just because he tells you to, because someone told you to, it'll never work. You'll either fade out, as we're seeing all over the country, right? Or you'll go and you'll be miserable and so will everyone else in your Sunday school class. Because you're, you're, you're making them miserable, like this Pharisee. Jesus came to show us what he is showing the crowd. I did not come to bring your stone heart into church. I came, Jesus came, through the word, so that you will love church. My word will break the stone in your heart. And what was once a boring Bible collecting dust slowly, for some people quickly, for others slowly, becomes sweeter than the honeycomb. So many people want to push the Bible away. It is oppressive. It is outdated. It is boring. Let me end on this. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Each section is divided based on a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then it talks about how awesome God's word is. It's, if, it's as if the Hebrew author is showing every part of my language is about how good your word is. 
Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalms is kind of in the middle of the Bible and turn left if you need. Psalm 119, verse, and we'll get three verses in here, but verse 18 is the first one I want you to see. And I want to talk to you if you're, maybe your quiet time is, is just stale right now or you just can't get going. Look at Psalm 119, verse 18. This is a prayer. Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things in your law. So look at what he's saying. Open my eyes. This is a prayer. I can't do it. I can't see it. Open my eyes so that I can see the wonderful things in your law. This is so huge because this is someone who wrote the Bible and he can't see, even he struggles to see sometimes, the wonder of the Bible. Open my eyes. Maybe some of you, you struggle with this. Might I suggest this as a prayer for you before you start quiet times or whatever it is for you. Open my eyes so that I can see the wonder of your law. So I can see why it's good. So I can see why it's helpful. I don't see it as sweeter than the, than the honeycomb. Help me see. Look at Psalm 119, verse 34. Verse 34. Give me understanding so that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Give me understanding so that I can observe and keep it with all my heart. We sometimes think the Bible is just this giant I told you so, because I told you so from God. But right here in this verse, the psalmist is praying, help me understand so that I can obey your word better. I'm struggling to obey you here. So teach me, show me why this is so good, so that I can have help in obeying. And last but certainly not least, Psalm 119, verse 92 Psalm 119, verse 92. If your law, now this is his Bible, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. If your law, if your Bible, if your word had not been my joy, I would have perished in my suffering. If your word had not been in my heart, the hospital room would have swallowed me whole. If your word had not been in my heart, the news I just got on the phone would have taken my soul from me. But I know and love your Bible and it kept me. Does that sound like someone who finds God's law oppressive? Does that sound like someone who thinks the Bible is out of date? And keep in mind, this is the psalm, so this was just the Old Testament. They didn't even have the full hope of the gospel yet. Two ordinary keys to us being salt and light in the world are knowing our Bible and going to church. And they are extraordinary. Let us be a church that doesn't just go to church, but that loves church. And let us continue to be a place with soft hearts that love the word. Let's pray.